Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, my guest is Tom Buda. Tom is not only the chief marketing officer, but also the chief strategy officer at a company called Airship. Now, Airship has been around for about 13 years, but as Tom describes, being a disruptor and being a challenger, you can always look at what you mean to the market. And that's been his vision and mission coming into this opportunity. Now, Tom is no stranger to the CMO role. He's had it almost 10 times. And each time he comes in, it's about figuring out what is the right position? How do you position yourself to the market? And we talk a lot about that from a leadership perspective and what that chief strategy title means both internally and externally to the company. From there, we also talk about other realities. Now, Tom and I actually met in person at an event recently, and I saw him speak about the economic downturn that's ahead and how we have to adjust as marketers. Tom gives us a great way to think about putting the customer first, being relevant, especially in these times. This is a great chat. Tune in now for Tom Buda. I am thrilled that you are here. I want to say in person, but we were in the same room just days ago, and now we're recording in different cities. But that's the reality of getting back to the old way of work travel and still embracing technology like this to record together. You are the chief strategy and marketing officer at Airship. I don't always get a CMO and CSO. What does that strategy piece entail? Well, um, I guess it's all about how you approach marketing, really. And I think it all begins with positioning. Uh, and what is positioning? Positioning is effectively the very clear articulation of, of the company strategy. So I'm responsible for our go-to-market strategy, which is how we're positioned and then how, how we're aligned behind that strategy to bring it to life. Part of bringing it to life is how you market the company, but it's also how you approach your sales and customer, you know, your new prospects and your customer engagement with your existing customers and also how you work with your, the ecosystem or the partners. So I also oversee the part, the part in the business alliances and partner team. So it's interesting. I, I was curious about that title, partly because this isn't your first CMO title. So it's not as though you went in and this was something that you evolved from. I mean, you've been a CMO. I counted nine times. I know you don't count anymore at this point, but I, I'm wondering what doors that opens for you externally that a CMO title has not in the past. Have, have you found any difference in the year or so you've had this for, as you said, even just some of those partnership discussions? So the way I've approached my job really from the beginning, from the first time I, I sat in the seat, I've been really working with companies that are, I would call challenger brands, and they're challenging some form of the status quo. Most notably, the very first role was um, at Red Hat, uh, and Red Hat was introducing this concept of open source software. You know, clearly that was a very different way of, of, of writing software code versus a proprietary software platform that Microsoft certainly, you know, made famous. And so as a result, the positioning of 
who we are and why it matters is actually bigger than the brand that you're working for or the company. It's actually all, it's about this, the market space. So the market space in this case was open source software. My next experience at PTC was about introducing the market space of product lifecycle management. You know, and since then I've, you know, introduced customer experience management, um, cloud monitoring and observability. And here at Airship, we're introducing mobile app experience as a, as a, as a category within customer experience. So the point, the point that I'm trying to make is those are very much strategic roles and the articulation of that is, is typically expressed in marketing, but determining what that platform is, is a strategic role. So, um, because I've done that a number of times and have in fact a playbook on how to do that, um, I thought it was important to have that ownership. And then, you know, it's not just what we say, but it's also what others are contributing to and how we're helping them inform really what partnerships matter and how we together can advance this cause. So I think having partnerships and alliances as part of that is just nat it's natural. And yeah, there's a sales component for sure. How do we both surface new opportunities through our partners or how do they influence opportunities? But in some cases, I think partnerships are, a you know, they're very much a strategic decision because you can either, you know, build it, <laughs> you can buy it, or you can partner with it. And, and, and so, um, we've got a, we, we built the partnership team and, um, we're doing some pretty interesting things. So that's an interesting segue that I was curious about right out of the gate with this strategy component and being a CMO, of course, a lot of what you spoke about there is that external go-to-market, how you're able to interact with partners. But when you talked about build, build by, or uh, the different paths that we have to enter a different element of what we do, a lot of that starts within the organization. And I'm wondering, who is that group that you sit there and chat the most with about how does your ecosystem develop? Is this you and a CEO or who else is at that table? Great question. I think without saying it, um, I think you, you, you understand the first principle that, that I firmly believe in, which is everything has to start from within because if it start, if the work that you do starts on the outside, then that's simply known as quote unquote, just marketing, right? But if it starts from the inside, it's actually who we are. And sometimes that's, that's some of the hardest work because particularly as I have come into a company that's, you know, that's been around a while and I've done this a few times, um, getting the organization to see another way, an advanced way, uh, perhaps a better way, uh, and getting them to embrace, embrace that is its own challenge. So in terms of the organizations that I would work closely with, but you know, at the end of the day, we're a software company. So I, uh, I, I spend a lot of time with the, you know, with the product team. And the reason is because at the end, because that's, that's the proof of what it is we're actually saying. Um, you know, are we delivering on, on the value proposition that we're putting out there? Clearly we have to prove that out. Otherwise it's fake news, right? You know, the second band of course is the customer. So anyone who's associated with customers as well as interacting directly with customers is, uh, was, is who I spend a lot of time with as well. Interesting. So I, I want to come back to this in terms of how you come into an organization 
as you said, Airship is not a brand new company. Although they are a challenger and they are disrupting, as you set the context, they were formed in, I think, 2009. So this is a company that's been around, you know, 13 years. You're coming in in the last year. When do you start to push that agenda of change management again or changing the vision or changing how big this could potentially be? Is that something that you, as you said, have a playbook? Is that a you know, month one, or is that you need to assess the positioning after a little while? Usually you're brought in for a specific reason. And, and most often it's, we instinctively know that we need to, that, that there's a better way. Right. And in many cases, the answers are, are inside, you know, the answers are typically all within, like for me to come in and like figure something out that nobody else would have thought of before is it's just not real. Like people have figured it out. It's just that it's gotten cluttered. You know, it's gotten cluttered with all the stuff that gets in the way of focusing in on what matters most. And, you know, in this particular instance, um, the company actually had identified its strategy to focus on the mobile app long before I showed up again. And it, and, and I mean, I could pretty much say did not execute that strategy from the time it identified it, articulated it to the employees at a sales kickoff until the time that I actually got engaged first as a, as an outside consultant to figure that out, uh, until I, you know, I came in. And so what I wound up doing is when I was brought in by the CEO who I known for, you know, a little over 10 years. And, you know, you should know that I was an advisor to the company too. So I knew a thing or two about the company, but it had definitely evolved from some of the prior times that I had been involved because I was involved when he had first started as CEO. And I was trying to validate whether or not I thought that strategy made sense. And so I did a lot of testing, talked to a lot of people, looked at the marketplace, et cetera, et cetera, and realized that that strategy actually did make sense, but we needed to build it out as a platform, right? As a Really, it was about a brand positioning platform, which is effectively the articulation of the company strategy. You know, who are you? This is what we're all about. So I did that work and it became very clear that it was resonating and people were hungry, you know, for it. And in fact, excited for it, particularly the product team. Um, they were like, this is great. You know, I feel like we're, we've gotten back to our core belief and who we are. And, 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 and it's interesting because if you look at you know, <laughs> looking at what people do versus what they say, in this case, the behavior of the product team has been extraordinary. Like the amount of innovation that's taking place, that has taken place in the year plus that I've been there has been phenomenal. Um, and we're, you know, we just keep innovating, um, and at, at a very fast pace, um, some really, really cool things. And I think it's cause it's like, you know, they're in, they're back in a groove. They're not playing somebody else's game, right? We're playing our game. And we're very much, you know, not only legitimate, but I think potentially vital to the strategic interests of the companies that we serve. And I say that, and last thing I'll say about like Airship is our focus has been on the mobile app um, because our belief is that the mobile app is the digital center of customer experience. You know, and I know that all of us live our lives on these mobile phones and inside those mobile phones, from morning to night, we're interacting typically with an app, whether it's an 
an app, a news app, a banking app, travel app, you know, a shopping app, on and on and on. And those are the customers that we serve. Um, and what we, what all of those brands have seen, especially the ones that are really doing it well, is they're seeing the app customer as three to four times more valuable than the non-app customer. And so that focus is, it's a value play. So when I say vital to the strategic interests of the companies that we serve, like in a downtime, in a recession, in, a, in, in times of uncertainty, like it's pretty well guaranteed if you follow this path, you know, there's great value that you can generate. That's fascinating. I, you know, the, the last 10 minutes I've, I feel I've been convinced that every CMO should also be a chief strategy officer because you used that word strategy on so many occasions and really painted a picture of getting the entire company from inside to outside uh, to, to understand the vision as much as the campaigns that we execute. Tom, we're going to take a quick break here. We'll come back a little bit and talk about execution and how you're doing that over at Airship. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. Right out of the gate, Tom mentioned that being a CMO is all about positioning. And I think he had words in this episode around what matters most. And I think that's an opportunity we have as a CMO, not just to figure out what matters most in the campaigns we send, but also what is our vision? How do we articulate that and rally everyone internally? As Tom outlines, this strategy piece of his role is just as much about interacting internally with stakeholders as the market that we're trying to attract. And if we can come in and we can rally everyone around this same position, there's an opportunity to truly be a challenger together. So Tom, if, if we're to date your timeline at Airship, you joined in September 2021. And I imagine at that time, as you talked just before about strategy and setting what that vision is, you probably weren't accounting for a potential recession or the uncertainty in the market that we see roughly 12 plus months later. And I'm curious how that has shifted some of the vision and strategy you're painting for the company and how you have adjusted expectations with your board? So it's a great question. And uh, yeah, we didn't anticipate it when we were walking in. Our, our, our projections on you know potential growth uh, were certainly a little bit higher than we have, um, have achieved. However, we've you know, continued to maintain profitability, which is you know, very important to our, the principles of how we run the business. Especially right now. Especially right now. Yeah, thankfully. 
that's been great. So in terms of the board, the board is 100% uh, behind the strategy and behind the program um, that we've brought to bear. In fact, when I first represented how we were going to bring it to life, they were highly enthusiastic uh, to the point where they were like, this is what I've been saying we should be doing, right, kind of thing. And they're, they were also realistically cautious in the sense of saying, you know, and these kinds of moves are going to take time. Add a recession into that equation, and that means it probably will take a little bit longer or not, right? It depends on how you approach it. So certainly, um, anytime you introduce something new versus what, how things used to be, and maybe the numbers aren't quite where you thought they might be, it, all of these types of decisions come into play, right? And, and they, they, they get looked at, especially by, you know, the field. And so you have to have resolve, uh, and stay committed, particularly if there's evidence. And so we've been looking at the evidence and the evidence is in fact there. So we're using that as a way to, to double down on it. So you hit on this idea of doubling down and, and I think that's, you know, we were both at this conference I said, I alluded to, and it was kind of framed a growth conference. And I kiddingly told some of my peers back at the office, it felt more like a doom and gloom conference in terms of some of the talk tracks. It was like a recession conference, but you know, a big question a lot of people are asking is, is this a time where I should continue to push to say, I want my budget and I believe in my budget, or should we be conceding and, and pulling back? And I'm wondering if not just your view now, but, you know, unlike a lot of CMOs I get to speak to, you were in that CMO seat back in 08, which is probably the last significant market downturn. You know, we've had some bumps along the way, but, you know, real fear in the market, similar to maybe what we're seeing today. And, and what was your experience in terms of decisions that were made and how they impacted the long run? Yeah, um, I think this is the third big economic challenge, if you will, challenging time that I've been through. The first was um, the internet bubble bursting, right? We went public at Red Hat uh, just prior to that. We did a follow-on offering and, you know, it, it called into play our own strategy and, um, and we, you know, we stayed with it. And I think, you know, the results show, show themselves. And then, yeah, as you point out, 2007 and now, and now uh, we're here again. So the good news is a lot of the management team at, at Airship has been through this before. We collectively have, um, have really aligned behind the company strategy and, and what it is we're trying to do. And we're, we're, look, we're looking to find ways that we can optimize. We're looking to find ways that we can accelerate. We're looking to find ways that we can continue to improve always and especially now. But, you know, I presented this to the management team and then it was presented to the board that said, like, this is a moment. Like, this is a really big moment because we are in the middle of an opportunity to create and capture value. There's a lot about not a lot of businesses that can actually point to those kinds of results. When you're talking about, like, driving three and four times the value uh, of a of a customer, the app customer versus a non-app customer, that's huge. Like you can't cut your way to success. And so what we're doing is we're transferring that data along with these playbooks that we've we've introduced for our customers to help guide them and help themselves guide their teams 
And we're suggesting that, you know, this is an area that should be of investment as opposed to cutting back um, because of the opportunity. Because, you know, you've seen, you've seen the studies. I mean, I think Bain has probably uh, the most quantitatively sound one that says companies that have invested in a strategy during a downturn where others have pulled back have come out at the end of that period well ahead of their competitors. And there was a, there was a cover story in Forbes, Forbes magazine, I think it was in, in July, and it basically says, what you do in the next 10 months is going to define your future. That's, that's, it's so well put. And, and that data and your experiences having been through this, I, I'm sure create a lot of comfort and, and not to, not to kick anyone who's thinking otherwise, but I've chatted with other marketers who have not got that same tenure who are sitting there saying, well, this is so unfair. And, and that's a very natural way to feel like, how am I supposed to accomplish everything I need to accomplish either with a lower budget or lower market? propensity to take action. But as you said, this is about a long view and what you do now can have that lasting effect. What, you know, tying it to Airship, because I think it's interesting what you do uh, at Airship, because as you said, a lot of these apps that I use and I'm, you know, I'm getting notifications from airlines that I should, you know, think about my winter plans and I'm getting, you know, notifications from, you know, my sneaker shoe apps about, you know, the next best shoe. But I'm also sitting there being like, all right, well, is this the right time to buy? So how, how are you encouraging those customers of yours to work to the sentiment of buyers right now and, and how that has to shift? Because I, I assume it's a different approach needed to create comfort to purchase. Yeah. Well, first you want, first is you want it, you want to create a facility that allows the, 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 the customer to be, to feel at least like they're in, in control of how they're interacting with the brand. Um, I, I, I'll get to that in a second, because I think one of the reasons why you're seeing so much more value from the app customer is because, I mean, if you really think about it, we're in this tiny little device, the phone inside this other little device, an app. And so there's this highly curated like exchange that happens. It's a little bit of a dance that happens between customer and brand. And the ones that are doing it well are doing it with respect and reward. And in fact, it's mutual because like everybody wins if that happens. And from our, our surveys and we, we surveyed something like 9,000, you know, 136 um, cons mobile consumers across the globe, and they t they said we're willing to share a lot, like a lot about ourselves. Some things are off limits, but a lot about ourselves we're willing to share. Just treat it with respect and and give me some value in in return. And so, establishing a preference center, for example, in an app that allows you to set preferences for all your promotional channels like email, et cetera, and, and app notifications and things like putting, allowing me to directly tell you what, how, and when, and how often I want to be communicated with. That's huge. Being able to ask first party, gain first party data by asking very relevant questions in, in the moment. So how was that experience? Did you like that? Do you, you want to look at some things just like this, or you want to try something new? Is it time to explore something different? Can you give us an example of someone who's, who's rocking this, whose app we should go download and, 
maybe just experience a great customer first mindset? Well, I mean, for a long time, you know, certainly uh, Starbucks has, you know, has nailed it. You know, the rewards program is, it keeps people traversing, you know, the, 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 you know, the traffic to find the, the next Starbucks because they want their star points because they know they're going to get rewarded. There's, they're clearly, they clearly have a great rewards program. Um, Chipotle has done a great job of, I would say, putting the good stuff in the app. For example, they're introducing special offers just for app customers. Like free guac or something like that. <laughs> oh, it's true. That's actually. Oh, yeah. is that actually? I, I, that, that to me is always the big question at, at Chipotle, right? Like, do you want that guac? Yeah. Home Depot um, uh, is doing a great job and they've actually understood that their primary customer, their core customer is the professional, right? But there's a lot of people, the weekend warriors who are going in to, you know, buy paint or do fix up. I mean, the coat, you know, everybody like did some work on their place um, because they had the time and, um, and yet navigating these big boxes and trying to find stuff was a huge problem. So they literally created a map of the store. Pre-select your product, identify where it is on the shelf. Um, there's organizations um, that we just talked to in, in London during our customer event that have the product waiting for you at checkout that you selected through your app um, and you can pick it up in the store. Or, by the way, if you're a professional, they'll have it delivered to you. You're on the job and you realize, oh my God, I need a Phillips versus a, you know, a flathead screwdriver or whatever, you know, and I don't have one and it's going to take me an hour out of my day to go and find it. Well, now it gets delivered to you. Sounds like they're taking a, a you know, a, a idea right out of Amazon's playbook there. Uh, but that's that's what we want. We want convenience. We want, as you said, relevance. And and those are some great examples and great companies. Tom, I've got a few more questions for you, but we're going to keep you around after this short break. Right back with Tom on the marketer's journey. As Tom described that experience that we have to be mindful of for customers inside the app, what do we serve them? I think it actually starts with things that they do before they even use the app. When we open an app for the first time, we're asked a number of questions. Can you track my location? Can I send you notifications? And we need to be mindful of being a brand and creating an experience right out of the gate that gets people to trust us. That trust that we build out of the gate and to Tom's point, the trust we build over time with what we offer determines how much I'm willing to give and in return get. That reward experience that Tom is talking about can be anything from a reward like Starbucks to the type of content we serve you to make sure that relevance is there at every step of the journey. Tom, we have unpacked your career journey, many stops along the way. We've talked about how to create a real experience for people inside of an app. And now I got some real questions for you. These are going to come at you quick. Uh, we're looking for rapid fire answers to my rapid fire questions. And the first one is really about thinking about the next CMO. Uh, you've seen an evolution of different marketers and probably a lot of people you've worked with become a CMO. What is the key to taking that first step? Is it more of a generalist type of marketer? Is it more of a specialty? What do you see work most often? I think the greatest currency that exists inside of an organization is understanding what your customers are saying. 
And so you need to have a great appreciation for that, um, which means you need to spend time in front of customers. You need to hear what they're saying. You need to hear what they're not saying, particularly if you're in front of them. You need to get a feel for what their body language is like. Um, and ultimately what you want to find out is like, what are the real problems that they're trying to solve? Not necessarily the tactical problems. Those are important, but what are the fundamental challenges that they have? Interesting. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think it's still early, but I'm yet to speak to a past VP of customer marketing and became a CMO, but one day I definitely expect that to happen. Let's keep going here. Another question for you is around content. And we hit on the relevance of offers and that form of content. But from a content marketing perspective, what is it that resonates with you? What stands out in your inbox or in the offers you see online that get, gets you to click? So I would say that there's, there's, like, there's two types of content. You know, One is more strategic and, uh, and the other is more transactional. And the more strategic is fundamentally all about value. And I think the way you create value is particularly in something that's new is you help make sense of it because typically there's a lot of noise. People want to just go, what is this actually all about? Everybody's saying it, but I'm not sure I really understand it. And owning that is a good place to be. And then the second is if you can create these, you know, tools, these frameworks, um, that show how they can create and capture value, everybody will be interested in that for sure. On the transactional side, and I think honestly, that's simply like I get a tons of it, tons of inbound, whether it's LinkedIn or email of people, you know, trying to sell me stuff and, or at least get a meeting. And, and I think when people take the approach of actually this is relationship building to ask for the order, even like are you free Tuesday or Wednesday, right? Morning, you know, like what, you know, who are you, who, you know, why do you matter? Right. If you actually have somehow hooked into something about me, made it relevant to me, whether it's me personally or me in my job, then it opens my ears or eyes a little bit more to be open to what it is you might have to say. In other words, there's this respectful kind of relationship oriented exchange that doesn't ask for too much too soon and everybody doesn't do that they make that mistake like somebody said get a meeting on day one right on email one build rapport i think is really yeah. what you're getting to so so let's make it a little bit more personal here and, and shifting completely information you wouldn't you know give a rep on day one but you know the toughest question i always ask here is creating balance between things that are important to you personally and you know your job and and i'm sure you've had to find balance and gotten better at that over the years what's your trick to putting personal first you know i spent a lot of time thinking about this and in fact a lot of time working on this issue with um with the ceo of citrix uh because we got into this discussion really that um got pretty deep ultimately it became about how they wanted to position citrix and we dispelled the notion that there is this work-life balance idea. Like the place you ultimately want to get to is how can we harmoniously integrate work and life? Because you can't necessarily separate like, this is when I'm working, this is when I'm not working. Mm -hmm. It's my son's birthday today, right? I'm supposed to take him to dinner and we talked about, oh, we're going to meet, meet for a drink. Well, 
the CEO just set a meeting at the time that we were going to go meet for a drink, and it's about a board board of directors presentation or preparation um, that we need to talk about. So I'm clearly going to be doing that, right? But and in, in enough time to go and meet him, you know, for dinner and have a drink at dinner instead. So um, it's just really understanding that that reality and knowing what if I don't attend this particular meeting or what if I stopped now, what would happen? And in many cases, it's a positive for you if in fact you, you treat it that way. Don't think of yourself as all that important that you have to be everywhere all the time. I think that's great advice. Uh, you know, very humble way to look at it. And uh, it's it's having that, uh, you know, bus plan, as they say, if you were to get hit by a bus, who's going to jump in? And I think, you know, having that mindset, even on a daily basis, not into the world, but just today, what if, what if you were sick today? What would have happened? You know, or what if you were on a plane during that meeting? Uh, you know, which a lot of us, you know, I've gotten to, you know, get maybe not used to anymore, but those used to be the days where we had to make those sacrifices. And, you know, Tom, this has been so great. Everything that you've shared with us from your career to how you're thinking about engaging customers and, you know, even the personal side here. I think everyone who's tuned in has taken so much from this. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you. If this is the first episode you've caught with Tom, check out all the amazing episodes that we've had. Every CMO's journey is unique. If you're on that path, yours is going to have its own story to tell. Maybe one day you'll join us here. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to The Marketer's Journey. You've been listening to The Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Oh,